From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, August 14th, the year 2017, 76 degrees, cloudy skies, and we welcome in from New Orleans, Louisiana, the great city that is New Orleans, our friend Sean Davison to recap the 99th PGA Championship won by Justin Thomas. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Jeremy. How's it going? I am well, thank you. Um, Not as well as JT, though. No, and look, we've seen this coming. Uh, You and I have talked about JT plenty. Talented guy. We knew that over time it would come together. Um, But I thought, and I'm not sure what you thought going into yesterday, that coming from behind was the best scenario for him. I also think this will be the best scenario for Ricky. All the focus was on Kiz and Matsuyama and Stroud. And JT kind of just flew under there, knew if he played well, he would have a shot. And uh, lo and behold, after going five wide in the back nine, he wound up being the champion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's something you and I have said, not just about JT and Ricky. We've said that about a lot of different guys. And in general, unless you're that special breed of player that can get yourself in contention in a major and seal the deal that first time, the best way to make your way on that major stage and win your first major title is to come behind, post a number, hope it holds, and you know, you walk away with a big trophy, a big check, and all of a sudden you're a major champion. Um, we did see this coming for a long time, and ironically, you know, Justin Thomas and Hideki Matsuyama, they started the season off again, so it's a wraparound season now, so they started off in the fall of 16, really hot, winning overseas, they came over here, Justin Thomas, of course, shooting 59 in Hawaii, winning both tournaments there. I mean, both of those guys look unstoppable. And in the weeks and the months since, we haven't seen a whole lot of them. They played some nice golf, Matsuyama, especially in Nature's previous, but they haven't won. Last week it was Matsuyama, and this week they were paired together in the penultimate group, and both had a great chance to win the PGA with Justin Thomas prevailing. So it's a weird sort of sense of irony that those two found themselves in contention as the final major of the year as they had been the guys who set the pace at the very beginning of the season from the outset of 2016-2017. But he's been on five form for a long time. He's got a really nice game. And the one thing that we did notice early on in the year, uh, particularly in Mexico, we saw it again at the U.S. Open, a lot like we saw with Jordan Spieth in 2014, is he let things get to him. He got rattled by simple mistakes. And to me, the thing that I was most impressed with from Justin Thomas was he took everything as it was. He took advantage of opportunities when he had them. He plotted his way around that golf course. And he got around in the score over 72 holes. And he did exactly what he needed to do. So it's a great turnaround for a guy who did struggle to close the deal in some bigger tournaments, just WGCs and the U.S. Open. Well, let's look at this in, in two ways. First of all, Matsuyama and JT dueled at the Tournament of Champions. So those hot falls came to a head, you know, right out of the gate. And secondly, a perfect example of, of, of what you talked about was the first hole. I mean, he hits what he thinks is a perfect drive that goes in a bunker. He pulls the bunker shot left, left into another bunker and does what thousands of average Americans and golfers around the world have done, which is flat-out blade a bunker shot. He's staring six at the face, and he battles back for five, birdie uh, two, and away he goes. He really steadied the ship fast. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's not something that we saw in Mexico. And that's not something 
we saw at the U.S. Open. You know, he, he struggled to get things going. I mean, again, the U.S. Open, he shot the round of his life, and but some would argue the round in U.S. Open history. Um, then, you know, even in the Bob Hope Classic, the ball with the 63 is difficult. And now you're trying to do it in the U.S. Open, and all of a sudden you're on the leaderboard. But we've seen that that hasn't always been the case with Justin Thomas. So for him to make those adjustments mentally, internally, and to get the job done was, to me, as you mentioned, the most impressive thing. And just being able to right the ship early, I think, as you mentioned, was a huge part in that. Um, you know, you can look at the putt on 10. Um, you can look at the, the chipping on 13. But for me, it was the long birdie putt at 9. It got him back within reach. And then, obviously, the putt lipping in on 10 helped. And then he broke out of that big tie with the chipping on 13. But for me, it was the putt on nine. I think that got him back in gear after a bit of a shaky rest of the front nine after the birdie at two. No, it's like that. And it was one of those things that, you know, for me, I was actually in San Antonio at the time. So here I am traveling to the southeast during a major. Um, but I was in San Antonio at the time, and I was on an Air Force base. My grandfather's a retired veteran. We were looking at one of the old bases that he lived on for a little while. And I was saying... Not too far away, we went by the, the pro shop there, and I heard this enormous cheer go up, and, and you can see Justin Thomas was a bit more animated after that fight, and you went back and you looked at the fight again, and, and I mean, you can tell, at that moment, he had mental boost, that mental edge, it was written on his face, it was written in his demeanor, and you could tell, he was ready to go, he was strapped in, locked in, and ready for what was going to be the night of his life as he made the turn into Quill Hollow's back nine. And, uh, you know, the long cut was huge. The touch of, you know, block, whatever you want to call it, with the ball falling in on 10, the chip in at 13. And for me, one of the things that impressed me most is, you know, coming down the stretch, you've got the green mile, things are tight. To hit the quality iron shot he did into 17 with all that water staring you in the face, there's been plenty of times and plenty of players that you could have easily said would have hit that ball in the water or the bunker or bladed it over the green. I mean, to hit the shot he did into 17 and to seal the deal more or less, that, to me, was the iconic moment for Dustin Thomas in that tournament. Just having that gumption to hit the shot he did and make the putty in was really, for me, the, uh, the icing on the cake, if you will. I have to ask a personal question. Um, I'm not sure about me. I, I, I don't have it, but uh, do you have a 7-iron from 221 in your bag? I've hit a six iron about 200. That's about it. Yeah. I can't really get a hold of one. I think I might hit it thin. You know, I have hit the occasional six iron 200. But other than that, no, yeah, I think I have a seven iron from 221. That was just absurd, and it shows you, A, how long these guys hit it, and B, what adrenaline will do. Because seriously, I mean, when Dottie said that club, I'm like, are you serious? But yeah. she was serious, and he was serious, and he hit a heck of a golf shot. And two, let's not overlook the putty made on 16 for par. Yes, the, the yes that was a heck of an up and down. I mean, that was incredible. And, you know, you have to imagine there's some adrenaline flowing there, but stay aside 17 for a second. That par put on 16 to keep the momentum going, and what was still then a tight tournament, you know, we saw the many faces of Hideki Matsuyama on back nine. It's only one par. But, I mean, in what was still a tight tournament, you know, if you miss your par putt and he makes his, instead of you make, he misses, we're talking about a totally different tournament on 17T. 
and then to ride the wave and add it, add on to that with birdie, um, you know, that that was huge and a great way for him to spring mile. And that's the way champions do things on the final stretch of a major championship. Excuse me, it's not only how, how champions do things, but champions also get breaks. The ball coming out of the trees on 10 right into the center of the fairway. I had a feeling this might be his day when that happened. And then the ball lingers on the edge of the cup as well. Yes, uh, yes. You're going to get those breaks, and, you know, to me, the ones that, you, you sort of deserve those breaks, you know? Very rarely do people who don't put in the time, the to me, it, golf, it, it's like ball don't lie logic. You know, you might get those lucky breaks, but somewhere along the line, you probably got burned a couple of times, and it all averages out. So it's not like, you know, somebody just sort of lucked into something. You know, it's one of those things where you had to play so much good golf around it that you had to put yourself in that position anyway to get that break. So he'll probably do for a lucky break, and he got two in a row. And boy, were they fortuitous, and boy, were they well-timed. That is for sure. We're talking to Sean Davison about the PGA Championship won by Justin Thomas. We'll get back to JT in a second. Um, Kevin Kisner, I feel bad for him. The dude played a great, you know, championship, and he just kind of got run over, hit some shaky shots. Uh, he made a bunch of short putts, all between three and five feet on the front, and then the putts just didn't start going in, and he got a little loose at the end. Him, Matsuyama, and Stroud all played really Solid, steady golf. Uh, nobody lost it. You know, JT went out and won it. But kids especially, you know, this was tailor-made for him, and I, I do feel bad. No, you, you have to feel bad for a guy like him there. Uh, he did play well. You know, these guys are going into the back nine of a major championship on Sunday. Stroud, now especially, who's only won once before, and that was last week in his entire BTA Tour career. Yeah. Finds himself tied going into the back nine on major championship Sunday. Stroud's faded a bit, but Matsuyama, you know, he made plenty of birdies on the back nine. It was the orange and the boxes that, you know, whenever you're looking at the PGA Tour.com scorecard that you want to avoid, he had plenty of those as well. And then with, with um, excuse me, Kisner, taking away the fact that he was forcing the issue on his team, he really had to hold it, and he held on a little bit too long, yanked it into the water, made a six. I mean, you go through that... Nine times out of ten, a guy like Kisner makes par. He posts six under. He finishes past second. So, I mean, the four under finish for Kisner doesn't indicate how well he played for even 17 holes of that final round, despite the fact that he got run over by the likes of Reed and Thomas, Molinari, East Hazen. Um, so, yeah, he played really well. You, you kind of have to feel bad about that. Setting aside 18, he really did what he needed to do on the tough course in his first time in the final group with the lead in a major championship. Yeah, it, it, it was a big spot, and obviously he comes up short in the end. Matsuyama was trying to go back-to-back -back, uh, after what he did at Firestone, and um, he just didn't make the putts. I mean, he lets the birdie putt slide at one, and that was kind of the whole tone for the whole day. Um, the, 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 the dude is going to win a major. It will surprise absolutely no one when he does, um, but it just wasn't his day, and he didn't get the putts to fall when he had to. No, it wasn't his day, uh, and again, he made plenty of pretties, but there were those short misses, you mentioned how fun, there was another one right around the turn, and, and those were huge, he had the lead on his own at one point, and 
fell back into a tie and fell behind. He, made, he missed that short cut on 16 to stay within touch of Justin Thomas, and then Thomas, of course, birdieing 17. And then he also had to force the issue and bogeyed 18 doing stuff. You know, it, it's tough for, you know, when that first injury, it was tough for Justin Thomas, too. It's tough, it was tough for Jordan Spieth, too. And it has proven to be tough for John Rahm to even seem to get into contention in this rookie year. You know, trying to figure out major championships and how to plan them and how to keep your level in, level in a major championship. But, you know, he's very close. He's knocking on the door, and he'll continue to knock on the door, and he might not have to knock on that door very long. There's still, of course, that he can play really well on. He plays really well on pretty much every single one of them, and he will find a way to win majors, and I do say majors because he'll win multiple. Talking to Sean Davison about the PGA Championship. Uh, let's go through some of the other people here. Um, Rory basically said he's in pain and may shut it down for the rest of the year and pull a Roger Federer. Uh, I am very much in favor of that. How about you? I agree entirely. And not to say that Rory is near the end of his career, which you would imagine with Roger Federer at his age and extending his longevity. But, I mean, at the same time, if you know you're hurt, why are you forcing the issue trying to play week in and week out? Get healthy, get back, and play the best you can when you do. That's the, to me, aside from some of the off-the-course stuff, which has been well-documented, that's been the biggest mistake Tiger Woods has made through the latter stages of his career. Wanting to think he's better than he is, wanting to think he's more ready than he is to come back, forcing the issue and hurting himself even worse. So if Corey has the discipline and the intelligence to step aside, to get well, to get rested, to come back next January, February, or maybe December, whatever it takes, it's good for him for doing so. Um, and then there's Phil Mickelson. And I'm going to get to Phil before anybody else uh, because I think this is a really interesting point in his career. He played awful at Quail Hollow, a place he's won at, a place where he's played well at multiple times, even in years he hasn't won. He was flat-out atrocious this last week, and yet said he doesn't feel bad in his swing. Uh, he just hit it in the wrong spots. And here we are now. We're three weeks out from the points cut off for the President's Cup. He's going to have two uh, playoff events to, to try and get the points that he needs um, to make the team on points, um, and then he may have to rely on a captain's pick. And Sean, I don't believe he 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 deserves that pick. I know he's got this streak, and I know that um, the streak means a lot to him. But I just do not think he is worthy of a pick right now. Especially not if he plays the way he just played well. This is you mentioned in the court that he played well on, and he played atrociously out there from the drop of the hat. I mean, from the first tee, he did not look good. And if I'm not mistaken, I also thought. It, didn't he say something about not mentally being focused or not mentally being all there this past week? You know, I don't know what's going on in Phil's world. And he played well, very well, you know, last year and at times this year. And, you know, we've seen flashes of Phil looking great, especially in the Ryder Cup last year where he, uh, in Phil fashion, and Burgess in a Ryder Cup match at the top for a half. Um, but me, as you mentioned, Bill has the experience. He has that streak. When you think of the President's Cup and Ryder Cup, he's one of the first people you think of. But here's the thing that's interesting. This would be Jordan Spieth, what, fourth 
international competition. This would be Patrick Reed's fourth international competition. They've each played in a couple of Ryder Cups. This would be their second president, I believe. These guys are now becoming veterans in their own right. So when a guy like perhaps a Kevin Chappell is playing in his first president's cup of Ryder Cup, or even somebody like a Brooks Koepka, who's FSU teammate Daniel Bergner looks to make the team, and you would imagine both of them are going to be in. These are guys that can be leaned upon by guys who are making their debut. That you don't necessarily have to have Bill there. Would it be nice? Would it be great to have on the team? Yes. But at this point in time, especially considering how poorly he's played, if he's on the wrong side of the bubble, I can't see justifying giving him a pick of your team shorter. Um. Let's get away from the PGA and the President's Cup for a second for, uh, uh, to, uh, to the other big announcement that was made this past week, which is players to May, uh, sorry, uh, the uh, PGA Championship to May, players to March. You have a unique perspective on this. You live in Florida. You have been to the players in May. So two questions. First of all, have you been to the players ever in March? That is a no. Okay. As somebody, though, who watches a ton of golf and has been to the players in May and saw the issues they had with course conditions, are you in favor of this move? Yes. I like it a lot. And, you know, even more so than course conditions, there could be some cool, breezy, balmy days at DPC. We're talking about North Florida. In Florida, I live in Tallahassee most of the year, which is in the panhandle, but still North Florida. You'll have your days in February, in March, that are in the 50s and in the 60s, and I know that's not going to draw much sympathy from up where you are, <laughs> but it still is cold for all standards, especially in a tournament like the, the TPC at Sawgrass. So, I mean, it, for the fans even, even if it's not 50, 50, 70 degrees, to not have to march around in 90, 95, 100 degree weather for four days, from a health perspective, from hopefully a lack of heat stroke, it's going to be a nice change, not to mention geographical for the tour. I think it makes sense. It could be part of that Florida swing where they're playing all throughout the Florida in the same month. Then you talk about the scheduling scenario where you've got a big event every month from March all the way up to August, September. I think it just makes sense in a whole lot of different ways, not just for the status of the course. I think for the fans and for everybody else, for the players and everything involved. Um. It'll be fascinating to see how this goes. Before we get back to that, let me um, take you to the uh, President's Cup standings for the international team. This right now is so lopsided, it's not even funny. Um, the international team is Matsuyama, Day, Adam Scott, Louis Ustazen, Charles Schwartzel, Mark Leishman, Brandon Grace, Siwoo Kim, Johnny Vegas, and, and Adam Hadwin. Those ten would make it on points right now. Who's playing well out of that bunch? You've got Matsuyama playing well out of that bunch, Ustazen, and that's about it. Now, compare that to the U.S. team uh, right now, and here's their top ten on points. DJ, Spieth, Justin, Berger, Ricky, Kepka, Kisner, Kucher, Reed, Hoffman. Every single one of those players, except for Dustin Johnson, is playing well right now. <laughs> I know. It is it's, just... It's, it's, I mean, yeah. You can't possibly be sweating and shaking or the slightest bit nervous if you're one of the internationals at this point, right? Yeah. Um, but Poor Nick Price. Know, they're all professionals and they all should have the utmost confidence in their game and their ability to deliver. But yeah, that's a stacked lineup that you're looking at without even looking at the captain's pick. 
And if you look at some of the guys that are also on that bubble for the U.S., you've got Kevin Chappell, who won this year. You've got Brian Harmon, who won this year and finished second at the U.S. Open. You've got Jason Duffner, a yeah. winner. Gary Woodland, who's done everything but win in recent years on the PGA Tour. You've got France Pettigrew, who can cut the lights out. You've got Phil with his experience. You've got Ryan Moore, who can also cut the lights out. Look at the Ryder Cup, it's yep. Insane. It's absolutely insane what the U.S. has picked from. And then, assuming, say, a Chapel or a Harmon or a Woodland moves up into the top ten and knocks out Reed or Hoffman, but Charlie Hoffman, who's playing insanely well this year, and you've got Patrick Reed, who you know exactly what he's capable of, and it looks like, especially now with him finishing second at the PGA, his game's coming around at the exact right time for him to repeat again international competition. It, it's, it's scary. It really is. Yeah, Brent Snedeker's hurt right now, but besides that, every single person... Until you get to Brendan Steele, basically at the top of, in the top, you know, fifteen of these standings, um, is healthy and playing well, and you'd and you'd and you'd have to think with a partner, Dustin Johnson, uh, will find his form. Um, let's talk about DJ for a second. Uh, DJ and Spieth really had off weeks, and Dustin has not been the same since he fell down the stairs at Augusta. And he said, I believe it was last week at Firestone, that he doesn't feel 100% still. you got to wonder how different this major championship season would have been if Dustin Johnson does not slip down on a, a, a set of stairs. I mean, everybody had sharpened him in to win at Augusta. Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was that... And I was one of them. He was that unstoppable at the time. It didn't matter what golf course, what the layout was, where it was geographically. He was winning in Mexico. He was winning in the U.S. From coast to coast. It just did not matter. Dustin Johnson was dominating fields, picking up trophies, and becoming the number one player in the world. Just not becoming a number one player in the world. Padding to his total in the world rankings. I mean, it was ridiculous what this guy was doing. He was a machine. And then he slipped down the stairs before he played at Augusta. We saw, I mean, it, it seemed almost kind of awkward and sad at the same time, watching him warm up on the range and go into the clubhouse and come back out and hit a few more balls and then disappear again. And it was one of those, you're not is he, is he playing? Is he not? I wanted to play, but I don't want him to hurt himself kind of thing. And then he ended up withdrawing, and we really haven't seen him contend a whole heck of a lot since. So, you know, only Dustin will probably ever really know the extent of that injury and what it's done to him. But again, if we're talking about back injuries, what it's done to Tiger Woods? I mean, I don't want to say this is the end of Dustin Johnson as we know him, because comparatively speaking, he hasn't had surgery or multiple surgeries the way Tiger has. But in general, Jason Duffner even had to have this surgery a few years ago, and he said at the time, he wasn't sure if that was the end of his career. I mean... The back is not something you want to mess with in the game of golf. It is my bottom line. And, you know, for Dustin, the freak athlete that he is, he'll come back out, he'll work things out, he'll be healthy, he'll win, he'll win plenty, he might become number one in the world again if he loses it, he'll win more majors, and it'll be fine. But the bottom line with that is just, it, it's going to take time, because he hurt himself and hurt himself in a spot where in golf you just can't. Yeah, it is... Um... It is uh, one of those things that makes you wonder how this year would have been different. Um, let's get off golf, and then we'll finish up with golf. College football is only a couple weeks away. Right now, your biggest storyline, uh, just in general, nationwide, for this college football season is? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's 
I, I think right now the biggest storyline is who's going to win that first game between Alabama and Florida State. Not just because I'm an FSU alum who's definitely trying to find tickets. So if any of your wonderful listeners <laughs> want to donate a ticket for me, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, but anyway, I think that game is so intriguing. Not just because Jimbo Fisher was a coach with Nick Saban and Baton Rouge at LSU and is very much from the same coaching mentality and along the same coaching tree. But that those two teams have produced the most NFL talent out of anybody over the most recent years. They've been consistently great, even in a year where FSU was thought to be rebuilding last year. They won the Orange Bowl and beat a Michigan team that was in the college football playoff picture until they lost to Ohio State. Uh, beyond that, for me, the question about the football team in particular is I'm interested to see who Alabama's quarterback is going to be. Jalen Hurts is a phenomenal quarterback. But if there's one thing we learned about Jalen Hurts in the national championship game, is that he's really not the most accurate downfield. Now they've got a freshman in Tuscaloosa who can absolutely throw the ball downfield with precision. He lit them up in the spring game. Again, you're playing yourself, but that's not necessarily something that we've seen a whole lot of in Tuscaloosa. You know the defense is going to be great with Alabama. What is it? You know that they'll have three athletes on the edges. You know that they'll have great wide receivers and tight ends who can make plays in space. The question has always been with Alabama, how good is their quarterback going to be? But because they've had great tailbacks, because they've had great athletes, I think a lot of times their offense has made the quarterback look better than he oftentimes is. But I really like this freshman that they have in Tuscaloosa. And if he ends up becoming their starting quarterback, I think Alabama can be really dangerous this year, which I know that sounds like I'm repeating myself over and over again, but Alabama is really an impressive squad, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see who prevails that first week in Atlanta, and if those two teams meet again in the same stadium in January. All right, let's get back to golf. Is Justin Thomas your player of the year right now? Has to be. Four wins with the major. If Jordan wins another tournament, if Jordan Spieth wins the FedEx Cup, I think right now it's between those two and maybe a Matsuyama if Matsuyama can do something freakish in the FedEx Cup. But I think major has to be a huge part of the equation. That hasn't won enough outside of the U.S. Open. In fact, he's only won once outside of the U.S. Open, and that was a couple of years ago. Garcia hasn't played the same since winning the Masters, and the other guy who won a major is Speed. So I think it's really between Speed and JT as we go down the stretch and into the playoffs and how well they play in the playoffs, and perhaps which one of them wins the entire Fennec Cup to determine who the player of the year will be. Um, we have uh, experienced, you know, obviously eight of the last nine major champions have been first-timers. And in the midst of... Um, you know, the Jimmy Walkers of the world, um, you know, some of those who may not be uh, name-brand commodities, we've gotten DJ and, and, and Jason Day and Sergio and um, now Justin Thomas, these expected champions, trying to string together multiple majors in this era. Whoops, I almost fell off my chair. That's how shocking this is. <laughs> no, um, trying to string, string together multiple major championships in this era is going to be incredibly hard. And I think when we talk about ceilings uh, now versus you know 10 or 15 years ago, the definition of a ceiling is certainly different. So with that in mind, where do you put Justin Thomas's ceiling? You know, for me, if he get himself to a Hall of Fame career where he wins double-digit tournaments, wins multiple majors, that, to me, is a career well done. If you 
can win four, five, six, seven, eight majors, which any of these guys is capable of doing. It's not that they are capable of it. It's who's going to play better. Who's, I mean, in the case of Phil Nicholson, he would have been the open champion last year if it weren't for Henry Stenson going unconscious there. I mean, it's a question of are you going to play great and great if you are, but is somebody going to play better? And it's that insane how staff, not just the PGA Tour, but the European Tour, and some of the Asian tours now, as Matsuyama's made his way over to the U.S. from them, uh, are getting. And, you know, it'll only get even, I don't want to say worse, but in terms of being able to win majors, in terms of strength of field, if you're a, if you're a player out there on the PGA Tour or on the European Tour, once Matsuyama wins a major and golf really catches on over in Asia, it's going to get tougher. Not worse, tougher is the right word to use there. Um, because it's just going to bring in more highly talented golfers who've seen somebody from Asia, an Asian country, win a major for the first time. And really it's the catch-on like wildfire, even more so over there. So for me, if Justin Thomas can win one more major and over the course of the rest of his career win 10, 15 more tournaments than the ones he has right now, that's a great career. That's a heck of a career. You're going to be in the Hall of Fame. And anything above that at this point is great. And that's no knock on Justin Thomas. That's the tip of the cap to the rest of the competition. So on any given week, despite how incredibly well you might be playing, you still might be finishing second. Okay. We have uh, some breaking news, um, which is interesting. Um, the urine test, the toxicology report from Tiger's DUI is back. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm reading this with you for the first time. As I say, this is from Golf Week. Uh, Tiger had multiple pain, anxiety, and sleep meds, as well as THC, that is the active ingredient in pot, in his system when he was arrested. Um, two opioids, anxiety meds, a sedative for insomnia, and the metabolites of, I won't even try to pronounce that, and THC, the active ingredient found in pot. The drugs found included hydrocodone and uh, hydro, hydromorphine, the anxiety meds, the sleep aid, and then the THC. Um, under Florida law, the only permissible use for low THC cannabis or full-strength medical marijuana was to treat patients who suffered with epilepsy, chronic muscle spasms, cancer, and terminal position. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, then. That's so it not... It sounds like, to me, I don't want to say that's all, but it does sound like, to me, you know, we've known that Tiger Woods has struggled to sleep at times, so it sounds like those are the medications that he uses to help him sleep. Um, beyond that, you've got the pain clearance. He just had back surgery, and if I do recall correctly, as you mentioned about uh, medical cannabis, medical marijuana, being used for intense muscle spasms, if I'm not mistaken, that is why he was material in Dubai. So in some weird way, it seems unless he was, you know, lighting up marijuana recreationally, there was no alcohol in that toxicology report. Yeah, um, and, and that lines up with the fact that he blew a 0 0.00. Correct. On so, the uh, breathalyzer. Um so that's not to say that he doesn't have issues or managing medications and the strength of them. And, and you know, I don't want to say that Tiger Woods has these, you know, psychological demons that he's dealing with right now because that's not my business and I don't know Tiger. But, you know, setting that aside, it would 
seen at this point that whatever management it is of all these medications that he's using, probably just to get through day-to-day life after having, what now, four back surgeries and all the surgeries on his knee. I mean, he's an ancient 41-year-old man. I mean, it's insane. Um, you know, he's, got, he's going to have to learn how to manage all that. And, you know, only people in the inner circle will know if there's something deeper going on. I know he's going to rehab. He's trying to work it out, trying to work on solutions to whatever issues he's having are. And, you know, good for him for doing that. And certainly everybody out in the court community and everybody like us who's grown up watching and admiring him wishes him all the best. Um, I'm just glad to see that, you know, he said he wasn't drinking. Zero point zero. There was no alcohol in the toxicology report. And at first glance, just sort of hearing this for the first time, it does sound like everything you've mentioned is related to something that we've heard plaguing or ailing Tiger before, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Not the, correct? Yeah. The question, um, the question becomes, and this is obviously something which, when Tiger sits down for some kind of interview, we'll find out for the first time, is that were the painkillers related to the issue or does he have a larger problem that he needed to take care of? His statements have made it appear that he did have a larger problem that he needed to, to take care of, and that's why I went to rehab. This confirms that he did have a lot of chemicals in his system, and you can understand why the dash cam footage and the jailhouse footage came back looking the way it did when you have that level of concoctions uh, in your body because that chemical reaction is just not going to be pleasant. Well, in a way, you know, you hear about all the different chemicals and whatnot he has in his body. You start mixing medications, you start mixing different drugs and whatnot. Heck, we're, we could be fortunate that he's even here. Yeah, and they didn't hit anybody in the accident and, and that he, you know, was a single car issue that didn't damage anyone. No, exactly. And that's, you know, that's a stretch down there in West Palm Beach that's pretty close to the turnpike. Any number of cars, I mean, granted, it was early in the morning, could have been traveling down that street at the same time. Um, you know, for what it's worth, it, it does seem like, you know, there was a larger issue than there was. But it would seem that all the different medications might or most likely were related to different conditions that he had. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, everything he mentioned about the alcohol not being present, you know, it, it all checked out and it's all true. And I think at this point in time, that level of transparency or, you know, being upfront and honest about what was in your system, what wasn't in your system, and, you know, that sort of thing, it, it's in a way refreshing to hear from Tiger. It's just we don't know, I guess, in the grander scheme of things, aside from those big announcements, you know, whether or not those things were related to the recent back surgery or whether they were not. Um, but and it's a good thing we still have him, and it's a good thing that he's went to get better. And uh, we'll see what transpires thereafter now, after we've seen the report come back just now. And when we could be seeing Tiger in six weeks at the President's Cup, if he goes in person to fulfill his assistant captain duties. Let's end this on a happy note, because I don't want to end any uh, podcast on a sad note. Um, right now, if you could have Jordan Spieth's putter or Justin Thomas's driving prowess, which do you pick? Well, you, you know, it's nice to play from the fairway. <laughs> I, I really will tell you, you know, it's nice to play from the fairway, and it's nice to play from deep down the fairway. And periodically, 
that can do that. Not often, periodically. Um, and, and I always enjoy it. But for me, you can drive it however far you want to. You can place the ball on the fairway where you want to. You can hit it all over the map. You can hit it tight all you want to. you still got to make those putts. And if I can putt like Jordan, especially under pressure, then I'm a, I'm a very happy man on a consistent basis. Not only for the scores I want, but just being able to know that I can make a putt when I need to make one, that'll do me quite nicely. Sean Davison from New Orleans. Enjoy that city, and we will talk to you down the line. All right, sounds good. That is uh, Sean Davison. We thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up, and have a great night, everybody.